Hello, hello. Um, this is Natural Bodybuilding Worldwide Podcast, episode number two. I'm Chris Edge uh, and my colleague across the table there, Tom Poyner. Uh, thanks for tuning in. And um, can I just, I want to extend a, a thanks to everybody who tuned in last time and liked, commented, shared on the first one. We've had a great response uh, from the third po- podcast that we had. Um, better than we expected. So thanks very much for that. Uh, today, we've got a very special guest. Um, the founder of the British Natural Bodybuilding Federation, Vicky McCann. Welcome, Vicky. Thanks for Hi being guys, on today. How are you doing? I'm all right. Uh, are you well? Yep, good. Apart from you'll have to excuse me because I'm a bit choked up with the cold. So if I get a bit sniffly and a bit no problem, unclear, you know what it is. I'll apologise in advance. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, yeah, it's it's great to have you. Uh, following on from uh, from Rob last uh, last time. Yeah. Um, another huge guest and. Um, we just wanted to say as well, um, we're really grateful to have the the sponsorship of uh, Unrivaled Nutrition this this yeah, episode. Um, that you know, I think most people who are involved in natural bodybuilding are, are aware of um, the support that Unrivaled give to uh, the BMBF and, and natural bodybuilding, and they've again stepped up to to help us out so that we can carry on running um, agreed running these yep. episodes. So uh, that's great. Um, so yeah, we're back again live from uh, yeah, still glori- a bit, still, glorious still a bit Wigan. nervous guys, so do bear um, with us. And uh, we've got Vicky uh, via Skype, so um, we'll get straight into it. Uh, so uh, we're, we're just going to take a, a second just to share um, yeah. the live video on Facebook so everyone knows that it's, it's going live and it'll be good to get everyone's interaction. Yeah, so if everyone who's tuning in at the moment just likes uh, and shares the live stream that would be really really appreciated thanks very much um so vicky um we've got that list of things we want to maybe discuss and try and keep keep to that sort of framework but um, no problem give us for people who, who maybe aren't quite so familiar with you um can you give us a, a brief sort of rundown of sort of way, how you started to train um what attracted you to it and and, and what was your what was your progression into bodybuilding? How did that take place? Um, I, I worked in the gym when I was very young. Um, I actually started working in the gym when I was, I think, 14. Um, initially, I worked there when I was actually 13 and a half when I started. And I was what was called a tidy upper, where I used to put weights back, pick up coat hangers, just keep the place tidy. Yeah. By the time I was 14, I was actually teaching aerobic classes and working in the gym. I just loved it and took to it very, very quickly. Um, so... From, from a very young age, I was in the gym environment. It was a ladies-only gym, so it was, okay. you know, there was so much I did. I wrote programs for ladies. And then occasionally I'd go in on the men's days and help them out when they needed it and stuff. Um, so I was introduced to that side of things very early. And from there, I used to go and watch bodybuilding shows. So I've been watching bodybuilding shows since I was about 15, 16. And always loved the atmosphere, the environment, the camaraderie. It was, you know, a, a great buzz to yeah. be part of. And I was, as I say, introduced to that very, very early. Um, I went to PE college to be a PE teacher when I was 18. Um, And that's probably when I stepped up uh, my training. Um, I met Guy when I was about just under 19 and we started training together. And the first gym I trained at, there was no women at all. I think I was the only one that trained there, which was a great grounding because I didn't know what women were supposed to do or didn't have any preconceived ideas. I just literally went in... um, 
and trained with the guys. Yeah. Um, so I did heavy lifts, heavy squats, heavy deadlifts, and it was a very, very basic gym. So it was, you know, all compound movements, um, you know, everything with bars and dumbbells and, and, and makeshift working around. So that, that was a fabulous grounding for me. Um, I always kind of thought I would get into it and do it one day, but it was a guy called Mike Duffy um, who initially said to me, I'm running a show, you should compete. Um, it wasn't a natural show, it was an SFBB, which was the Scottish version of the EFBB at the time. Um, and, and he just said, no, you should do it. And I said, you're just trying to make numbers up in your show. And he was like, no, I wouldn't do that to you. Um, so he he coached me through it. He helped me with my diet. He helped me with training. He taught me to pose. So he didn't just ask me to do it and then leave me to get on with it. Yeah, He was there for me throughout the whole thing. Um, and that was kind of my, you know, introduction introduction to to bodybuilding, um, and and he, and he really did look after me, and he became a very very close friend. He taught me when I did powerlifting. He was a, a European champion in powerlifting, record holder, um, so he helped me through that as well. So he was very very instrumental in taking me forward into you know the competitive side of things, um, and 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 just was always there for me. Um, so that was kind of how it started. Great. Okay. And and Vicky, how how did things sort of progress from there with uh, you know subsequent com- competitions, and how long were you actually competing before uh, you actually gained your, your your pro card? I believe it it was ninety five at, at yep. the ANB uh, British where you, where you got your pro card. Um, h- how long was it that you were actually actively competing before that? Um, I did the SFBB Scottish in nineteen ninety, and then I did it again in ninety one when I won it. Um, I didn't do anything in 92 and then in 93 I got introduced to the AMB, the natural organisation. Um, so I competed in red car in their qualifier and won that and was second in the British finals. I didn't do anything in 94 um, and I went back in 95 and won the overall um, and took that my pro card then. So it was my fourth or fifth competition I think that I won my pro card. Mm. But again, over quite a long period of time, it's it's not the, you know, often we talk these days about people jumping into, you know, the first few shows, particularly, you know, overseas um, and pro cards are, are given out a lot more, uh, you know, liberally. Um, but it, it sounds like it was a, you know, a, a long process, um, you know, back then. Um, and, and probably something we'll talk about a bit later is is that structure that you, I guess, had in your mind when you set up the BMBF to you wanted to keep that. Um, um, so moving on, obviously you then gained your pro card. Um, I've heard a lot of stories um, from yourself, from Nigel, Davy, and Guy about those you know those early days when you were traveling as a team over in the states. Um, it sounds like you had, you know, an amazing time. Do you, one of the things we talked about in Rob's podcast was was sort of best and worst moments in bodybuilding. Do, do you have anything from those trips that particularly stands out as being, you know, one of your fondest memories? There was so many, Tom. Honestly, I mean, when when we first started competing, um, we didn't get any funding to help us go. Um, 
we we had to fund it all ourselves. So we, I mean, we'd do fundraisers. We, I mean, as I said before, I used to teach aerobic classes. So we'd do like sponsored aerobic classes. We'd do all sorts of seminars and things just to raise enough money to get there. And even when we got there, it was sort of the roughest accommodation you could find in New York because we couldn't afford the hotels. We couldn't <laughs> afford anything. So we would we would basically sleep as many as we could in the, an apartment. Um, we used to use an apartment near Macy's in New York, and we went back for a few years. And the guy there was a bit of a stoner that, that, that managed them, that ran them, but he loved British chocolate. So if we took him a pile of British chocolate, he'd give us the keys to the storeroom and we'd go and get extra beds and mattresses and take them into the apartments that we were using. So, you know, it, it really was kind of like, it was really team bonding because we had to, to muck in and, and work together. I mean, so, there are so, so many funny stories. I mean, years ago, we used to use Dream Tan, um, yeah. when we competed and we used to sleep inside duvet covers at night because you know we didn't yeah, want to get yeah. people's bedding in a mess um so we would go out and buy like duvet covers from like secondhand charity shops and stuff at a pound or a couple of pounds so you could just chuck them away when you're yeah. finished yeah. but you know always you know what it's like when you die and then you're ready for a show you're up how, how many times during the night oh. to go to the toilet so yeah. you'd bump into somebody else in the duvet cover as we sort of walk <laughs> Yeah, four square of the duvet cover. You know, so we're walking one night. We get up and Davy Hannah's there with a duvet cover, but he's got Pocahontas on his duvet cover. So if you can imagine, in the middle of the night, you've got Davy Hannah walking around with this Pocahontas duvet cover on. So, but there was hundreds of hundreds of experiences like that. That I don't know if anyone will ever. I mean, I know we go away as a team now, but I don't know if anyone will ever have to muck in the way we did previously no, and no. and create these crazy bonds where you know the beds we're sleeping in have got three legs and one keeps falling down or you've got balanced <laughs> up and it was it was an incredible incredible time that we had and and friendships that we've built that i mean nigel and davy are still two of my closest friends i mean you know absolutely adore them like brothers and that's just been an amazing experience with them yeah, yeah. no it's great to hear that and and as you know as well Davy and Nigel are, are still heavily involved in the BMBF and, and helping people out and I think probably those those early experiences back then that has it's continued hasn't it and, and you all keep that that idea of the camaraderie and, and helping people out and running the clubs and, and, and it's all for I guess the, the love of the sport really um, I think I think as I said earlier that Mike Duffy was very many instrumental in helping me um, and he would help anyone in the gym. If people were genuinely trying to train, be it powerlifting, be it bodybuilding, he was there. Um, and that's why I've always been so keen to keep some sort of outlet where people can get help. You know, it's fine that people can afford coaches or want coaches, whether that's the right or wrong thing we can discuss later. But his ethos of being there for people and encouraging people to help them, but also to progress our sport is something that I've tried to follow through. I mean, I didn't have a coach. The first time I ever came across coaches and choreographers was when we went to the to America. And it was completely unique to us because when bodybuilding used to be not say working class as such, but a, a sport for all where you trained, you dieted, you, you put on a pair of trunks, you know, the most expensive thing was probably your tan. Um, and other than that, it was affordable for all. Um, and, and that was something I really liked about the sport. So Mike kind of installed this that, you know, to make our sport successful, we need to, to keep helping people and keep helping youngsters and novices and bring people through. Um, and, and that's something that, 
was really brought through from him, in my opinion, from me anyway. Yeah, it's funny. I know Dave Kay always says, um, you know, when he started, they didn't have coaches; they had mates. <laughs> um, we did, yeah. And it and it was very much that that kind of outlook. Um, and and as I say, it's it's something that you've kept uh, with with the BMBF clubs. Um, but then, uh, so moving on, Chris, do you want to yeah, take um, the next? So I think we're just going to bring it right forward to sort of um, what was the, the catalyst for you uh, to create the BMBF? I mean, what, what, was it something you'd always... Um, no, I had never, I never had any intentions. Um, in 1999, I promoted a show for the AMB. Um, however, previous to this, the AMB and WMBF was we were competed with. Now, when I was with the WMBF, the AMB had, were refusing to pay the affiliation fee, which was, I think, $1,000 a year, um, and weren't polygraphing. Um, and after, I think, two years, Steve Downs had said to me, Vicky, you need to sort this out or we are taking no more pros. And I said, this isn't really my position i'm just a competitor yeah. and he says yeah but they're not dealing with us they won't speak to us we can't sort it out but we can't allow the, the pros to keep coming from the amb if we don't get the affiliation fee and i actually said look i really don't want anything to do with this it's nothing to do with me and they said well you're running a show for them why don't you run for us and i said no look the amb is where i got my pro card and you know i don't want to go against what they're they're doing yeah um so he said, well, that's fine. There'll be no more AMB pros, uh, winners getting their the pro card. So I went back and spoke to them and said, told them what was happening and just left it at that. Um, and I, run, I ran a show in 1999. Um, now, you know how you know Guy and how particular he is about the stage and the yeah. stage looking mm -hmm. good. So we set up the stage waiting for the AMB banner to turn up to be put on stage. Um, and the representatives from the AMB who were supposed to be there judging and everything didn't turn up till literally the start of the show. So there was no AMB banner went on the stage, which is, you see, uh, that kind of yeah. didn't amuse Guy at the best. It was our first ever show. They didn't help us in any way. They didn't, you know, they weren't there when I was doing check-in or just checking everything was right. They just literally came in, had their day in Edinburgh and came and sat down to judge right. um the next phone call i got immediately after the show or the next morning was uh, how many people did you have watching because they wanted a cut off the ticket money <laughs> and i just thought you know what this is mickey mouse let's just go and run something new so i spoke to wmbf and said i'll give it a go um i spoke to nigel nigel and his brother floyd were two of the people that were involved in setting up the bmbf really myself and guy and our other friend gary Wiedenhoff, who not many of you'll know. Um, the older people know. He used to DJ for me at all the BNBF shows in years gone by when we had a DJ backstage, um, and was always there. Came to all the New York trips, and you know was really instrumental in in helping us. Um, so he he agreed to help us out in any way he could. And some of you might know Christopher, his son, who's helped out more recently. Um, yeah. But you know it, it came from there. We had a lot of nightclub. We worked nightclubs. Guy was a doorman. I worked in promotions or bars. So we had friends who did lighting and music. Well, Gary did music. So we, we thought, you know, we can probably make these shows a bit more exciting than they've been. And mm -hmm. that was really the birth of the BMBF. So really, realistically, the people that were involved at the start were me, Nigel, Floyd, Gary, and Guy. So that was how it, it started. And it started as a hobby. We ran one show. It was an open British finals. Um, we did that for a few years and then started adding the qualifiers as we got stronger. Yeah. Yeah. And and for those of you that 
that don't know, uh, the BMBF is now in its 20th year this year. So it's the tw- 20th uh, year anniversary. Um, so it's it's going to be a big one, isn't it? Um, yeah, it should be fun. Um, so I guess a bit of a long-winded question, but what you know there was obviously a a set of sort of ideals and morals that you had in mind when you set up the bmbf and things like that structure of again for those of you that don't know um the bmbf run sort of seven qualifiers a year you have to qualify for the british finals uh then at the british finals the winner of every class will compete in an overall and one pro card is given out um so it's, it creates that that competition um other things like you've been quite strong on not allowing crossovers uh, between classes um i think it also you've been sort of quite reluctant to introduce things like men's physique and bikini and are very much promoting bodybuilding and um you 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 follow the the wada um uh, testing criteria for drug testing so i mean all of those things i guess ha- has sort of sticking to those morals in some way had a financial hit on the bmbf and how have you overcome that? Because the numbers that you're getting is still, you know, it's it's really, really good and and, and really um, good quality of, of competitors as well. So so what do you attribute that to? Um, because a, a lot of other federations now who, who have intra- introduced the likes of, you know, what we often call softer classes, um, they seem to be dominating uh the the competitive numbers now whereas the bmbf hasn't introduced that but, but you know you're still getting very very big numbers I sorry think, that was I a long winded no i mean i think there's there's obviously more than one question there and I, I mean initially you know your questions about drug testing about the structure these are things that all developed and grew as we grew i mean when we initially started um we didn't we used the same drug testing labs as the wmbf um, because I didn't know any better because that was the drug testing that we we had just been using. Um, so we were drug testing, but it isn't quite wider because they do six to one and there's certain things that they were allowing and not allowing. There's certain things that Quest and Redwood can't test for that we now can test for. So those were things that we've learned as, as we've gone along. And we're still learning, even at this stage, we're still learning. Um, and again, the structure was something that, that grew. We started off with one show because it was the only way you can really start. And, and adding the structure grew and, and has definitely strengthened the BMBF athletes. I mean, the BMBF teams are renowned throughout every organization that we've ever competed with. You know, they're renowned, renowned for bringing the, the best of people. I mean, our guys are always, if you get to be part of that team, you know you've fought your way through a structure a structure to get there um so you can you know be proud of yourself um as far as the the classes it's it's getting harder there's there's no shadow of a doubt that the numbers in the last couple of years aren't as strong they have dropped slightly um however i would agree with you in that the the standard of the people that are still coming to the bmbf is still second to none um is, is it quality over quantity um, yes, but I think that if we want to keep it that way, the athletes need to get 
more supportive, bring more people to watch, help us to find sponsors because we are going to drop in numbers. Um, and the options are we all work together to keep this strong and keep what we have or do we introduce these watered down classes? Um, I, I'm, I'm personally totally against bringing these classes in. I don't think they're necessary in natural bodybuilding at all. However, with all these other organisations offering the watered down classes, they're drawing naturals maybe away from the natural organization to take part in these these classes um so as much as when they started i think people thought these classes were going to enhance the sport i don't feel they necessarily are i think that why are you going to strive to be a bmbf champion to get your pro card when in other organizations you can get a pro card in a classic or in a men's physique or you know you know, it's taken away maybe five years work. You could maybe get, I can maybe get my pro card in two years, whereas if I go to the BMBF, it's going to maybe take me seven years. So, so you know, realistically, they're not they're not positive in that aspect. I mean, how many girls are going to strive to be a female bodybuilder? You know, when it's going to take ten years to get to the top, when in a year with boob job diet. You know, stick your bum out and you might get a pro card as a bikini girl. Sorry if that's offensive to you girls, but, um, you know. You're entitled to your opinion, Vicky. It's you? my and opinion, think, yeah. And, and, and that's the thing about opinions, isn't it? We've all got one, and if someone's offended by an opinion, um, as I found out most recently, then they can go and be offended. It's, it's not, <laughs> yeah, it, just go, go and I've be offended. I've been doing this too long. Yeah, um, I think it, exactly. And I, and I think that the proof's in the pudding with... Uh, with with the structure and quality because you know if if we look back at the past you know five years or so the 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 pros who have come through the you know the bmbf uh, finals route you know they they they're all automatically competitive on on a world stage and it's that structure isn't it um that that drives that that standard of competitor um and and what we often see, you know, there, there are exceptions, but we see people who come back year after year after year. It's it's often not that someone comes out of nowhere and gets the pro card. It, it takes years and years of of uh, you know refining things, um, and I think that's that's only a good thing for the sport. And I think if more followed that 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 process, I think would be in the sport would be in a better position. Uh, again, just just my opinion. Yeah. Um, I think the problem is though that what organisations have realised is that um, having hundreds of pros is a financial gain. Um, I mean, if you think most organisations, your pro card is more expensive than your amateur card, and then if you look at certain organisations, they also tie them in where they have to pay for the pro card every year, um, which they don't do with amateurs. So if you have more pros, you therefore are basically generating a greater income into your organization is it good for the sport absolutely not does it totally devalue a pro card absolutely uh i mean every day on my news feed on instagram and facebook there's a pro i'm pro this and i'm pro that and i look at these people and again no disrespect for them they're competing they're winning they're getting their pro cards but they were struggling our novice lineup they'd struggle to compete mm. you know win a qualifier with the bmbf um and it's a shame because it devalues what our guys have and it used to be good because in the UK we used to have the BMBF pro card and it really was to get a pro card in the, in, in the UK. It was very, very difficult. But with the WMBF now being a super pro qualifier at the Worlds, you know, you know the team go out there and they come back with five pro cards in, in one year. And we're a small country, so it's eventually going to start watering down 
numbers of amateurs. But as I say, the lucky thing with the BMBF is I think that really true competitive athletes know what it means to win the BMBF overall. And I think you that's see what, what it means to a lot of them when the, they do win. Mm. You know, yeah, the, the, the yeah. emotion just sort of pours out of people, doesn't it? I mean, I guess, I guess it does in other federations too. But um, when you speak to these people later on or, or, or you might message them uh, via Facebook or Instagram and c- congratulate them and stuff, you know, that they, they, they seem to hold it in a, a much more esteem than 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 than, than other places. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, if you, you look at they, they something like Mushy, who tried for four or five years to do it, I mean, he could have easily jumped on a plane, gone to the States and won it. You know, yeah, it wouldn't have been yeah. hard. But he didn't want to do that. He wanted to go down the route where he, he, he won it. And he slept with his sword the night he won it. You know, it was... <laughs> <laughs> Why doesn't that surprise me? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it was just so... It meant so much to him. And I think that it's a shame that a lot of people don't get that. Um you know, especially as you see overseas in the States that, you know, everybody and their brother's got a pro card these days. So mm. how much does it mean anymore well, to, it, to win it, a pro card? What would you rather do? Would you rather win in a strong lineup or win in a weak one? You know, it, it, it means less, I think, if your competition's not as strong as it could be. You know, so like with, with the likes of Mushy, um, Andrew Chappelle, for those who don't know the nickname, um, <laughs> you know, it, when, when he won, it, it, it wasn't easy. I remember he had to work his ass off for that, you know, not not just on his diet, but up there posing turn after turn after turn after, you know, it's not easy, is it? So when you do get it, it means so much more. And, and it's the same, you know, we were talking about it when Rob was on uh, last time, it, you know, Rob had come back and come close several times. Andrew, as we've just talked about, uh, Lou Smith, Shane. Uh, Shane Raymond. And it, it's just, it's good to see, you know, as, as an amateur, uh, you know ourselves it's it's nice to see that that hard work pays off um and, and I, 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 you know who wants to go and just win a pro card in their mm. first show but you're never gonna you're never like... gonna be competitive again are you you're gonna get up there in the pro ranks and and not be able to stand up there um, well, but, once, you know, once you've got it and you stand next yeah. to someone like uh David Kate and you realise I'm oh shit, I'm not quite as good as I thought I was. <laughs> you know. I think what's nice as well is and it's something that's unique as well is how much our pros are still evolved. You know, it's like all these guys have been I mean Mark Claxton's can be competing with us since he was a junior. Yeah. You know, and he's now still coming and sits on the judging panel, competes at the Grand Prix. You know, all these guys we're talking about are still instrumentally part of the BMBF in yeah. one way, shape or another. Yeah. You know, so we have you know I think because they work so hard to get there and they, they, they genuinely enjoy watching who gets it next. You know, even as pros, we enjoy seeing the people progress and come through and, and their development. I mean, Chris, yourself, watching you change over the few years that you've yeah. come through, that that for us as judges is so great to see. And, it, and it's not always the winners are great. I mean, it's always good to see a winner, but sometimes watching somebody come from not being a winner and, and, yeah. and watching them change and develop and push, that is such a positive thing. And yet, a lot of people, what's happening elsewhere is they win a pro card after a year, two years, and then never compete again because mm. I've got my pro card, it's on my CV, I can't really compete in a pro lineup, so I'll just, just you hold, know. hold it as a title. That's it, yeah. yeah. And I think that, that was something I was thinking about in the last couple of days, you know, about why do people compete? Why do they get into to bodybuilding? I mean, I think at one point it was a, a really niche type thing for people to do, for people who were bodybuilding, training in the gym day in, day out, and then did a com- competition because of that. Um, but now, as I think, obviously, you've said this before, I compete because I train. I don't train to compete. 
but I think that's what people are doing more and more now, and that's why they've got so many different categories in so many other different federations. It's just to satisfy uh, certain criteria that other, because they can't meet the criteria of what it is to be a bodybuilder, male and female. Uh, yeah, and I think that's wrong. I mean, if you look at other sports, I mean, I've always said it's like, you know, I want to be a triathlete. I mean, I'm sorry, I want to be a heptathlete or a decathlete, but I'm not really very keen on the... 1500 daily thompson imagine daily thompson saying i don't really like that 1500 so what i'm going to do is can we change it to you know from 10 events to nine events because i just don't like that one at the end yeah. uh, you know and it's the same it's like when when we started out there was i mean for women there was figure and there was bodybuilding um you you met the criteria the yeah. criteria didn't meet you you met the criteria and this you know i need a criteria here because i don't fit into that one well tough i can't be a catwalk model i'm not six foot tall you know i'm not going to be a sprinter because i can't run under 10 seconds you know that's life but in bodybuilding it's not life it's like you know i reckon if i pushed hard enough i could probably get a class for women at five foot four with dark curly hair you know it's like you know because (laughs) i really need to win And, and that seems to be how it's going i mean you know, we've got tattoo class we've got angel class we've got mummy class we've got figure we've got toned figure we've got bikini but we've not just got bikini we've got junior bikini open bikini short bikini tall bikini master i'm like come on you know it's like <laughs> where does it end where does it where end? does you it know? end and, and it's like why do people not just start there. striving rather than looking for easy options yeah, yeah. Uh, and that that leads on nicely to, to the next question is that a lot of people talk about what what the actual uh, promoters have to do to you know keep excitement and keep uh bodybuilding alive and and all of that but i think collectively we we all as as fans and as competitors have to take a responsibility so what what would you say as your single biggest piece of advice or you know a couple of pieces of advice what what should we be doing as a community you know a bodybuilding community to to help promote the sport and progress the sport I mean, I think it's the biggest thing for for any show is is getting bums on seats. I mean, that's how you fund yeah. your events and getting your family and friends to come along. But again, that's hard if they're going to have to sit through a hundred bikini girls, um, you know, and and you're going to be on stage for two minutes. How do you then, you know, say to them, you know, come and watch me, but you know, I'll only be on for a couple of minutes and you'll have to watch a hundred other classes beforehand so i don't know what the answer is as far as that and that's one of the reasons why i didn't want to go down that route with the bmbf so for as far as we're concerned as a bmbf community class sponsors bums on seats and just keep keep doing what we're doing and if our numbers drop i don't mind if we can keep funding it and as long as the standard of our athletes stayed as good as it is i mean we couldn't have been prouder of that that british final last year was just incredible i mean we sat there as judges and we're in awe of the classes it was just incredible to sit there and watch um and i mean i mean it really made you very proud of what we'd all done as a team you know as a as yeah. a team that we, we've managed to keep that going um so as other promoters to give them advice it's difficult if you're running it as a business have 20 40 classes you're going to make more money than with bmbf well Mm. Yeah, so be it. So <laughs> and be I guess, it. and I guess you know, you say uh, supporting the shows, um, and and probably supporting because sponsorship has probably in this day and age dropped, particularly for bodybuilding. Uh, you know, I think people maybe want to sponsor more the 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 you know fitness classes or social media. Um, Instagram influencers. It, it, we say, well, let's just say, <laughs> Insta famouses. Um, Insta wankers. So, so I, I guess uh, you know, 
competitors and, and supporters of the sport, you know, supporting the sponsors that actually do uh, sponsor the shows and the classes. Um, that, that, that must make a big difference for them coming back year on year uh, to continue. I mean, it's very hard for me to contact, you know, a, a, a supplement company and say, sponsor the BMBF. Um, and them saying, yeah, okay, I'll sponsor the BMBF. And then all the BMBF athletes are put, posting up, you know, using this product and that product and not using the ones that are sponsoring us. The sponsors then just go, yeah, not really worth us doing this. So, um, you know, yeah, if you can support the the companies that are supporting us, absolutely, it'll make a difference. Absolutely. I mean, I I don't know what the answer is to 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 bodybuilding itself. I mean, as bodybuilders, do we all pull away from the pageants and say, right, none of the body, no bodybuilders are going to turn up at these shows where there's sort of the pageantry classes and restart and restructure and you know have bodybuilding shows yeah. um you know i mean is that the answer i don't know i mean we've stuck it out with the bmbf and i, I genuinely hope that we can keep it going um it, it is getting tougher but as a community we can make it work because everything if you work together it, it can be done it's working together and not just expecting things to always be there realizing that to make things keep going and to make it keep going the way we want it we all have to put in we yeah, all have to get behind it and promote it Mm, yeah i think fortunately at the moment there's there's enough people who have the same uh ideals isn't there uh to, yeah. to keep that so hopefully it will continue in the future yeah. um but uh, you know and as if sort of uh creating the the bmbf wasn't enough not content with that um we've got the the dfac um yeah that, that's held mostly in miami which is uh, yeah. amazing. Somewhere I've not quite managed to get to myself yet, but maybe one day. Um, what, um, what, what what prompted the creation of the DFAC? Who got involved with that and, and, and what was the aim in it initially? That could be a podcast in its own. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, you know, I, I've always been in a kind of difficult position where I've been a competitor and also running the BMBF. So you, you see two sides of everything. Um, and that was always quite difficult. Um, and one of the problems when I was initially with the WMBF was that every time I complained about something, it was like a standing joke. Don't complain, Vic, you'll move down a place. Um, <laughs> you know, So eventually I had sort of said to them that I didn't want to compete with them anymore, but I'd still run the, the organization and bring the team. But that way I could be more constructive in making changes. Yeah. Um, so they had said that if I wanted to compete you know, elsewhere, then the BMBF wouldn't have, have an affiliation. Um, so people like Rob and Rachel and everyone went, they're not doing that to you. We're not holding a gun to your head. So we kind of left. But part of the reason was that there was lots of issues. And I mean, they tried to sue me because I spoke out about it before. They put me through hell for about three years, chasing me through the courts, which eventually they gave up on because unfortunately the truth will prevail. Yeah. Um, so we moved on from the WMBF. So we tried um, the PNBA. Again, we went along there with good faith. We did a couple of shows. Um, everyone paid for drug testing. They paid, I think, about $70, $80 for drug testing. I think out of our whole team of about 20, I think two people got tested. So they're all paying for drug testing, two people got tested. Wow. Um, the entry fees were very, very high. Um, I think, I can't remember, it was like 200 odd dollars you know, a person to compete um, as a pro and a hundred and odd dollars for the amateurs. So it was very, very expensive. And then they 
Stuart asked that we only way we could continue being with them is if we changed the name to INBA Britain. And I was like, not comfortable with doing that at the moment. Let's, you yeah. know, leave that one alone. So, and I think there was another stipulation that we had to qual to get the team to the Olympia, we had to qualify a show in August in Europe. And I said, that kind of doesn't work with our structure because we run a season. Our finals are at the end of yeah. autumn. Um so that won't work. So we left. We didn't fall out. We left on good terms. But again, there was enough issues that I was not 100% happy with. Um, so we went to the IFPA. Um, and initially, we had, again, we had a, a, probably a year or so that weren't too bad. Um, but then their drug testing is very, very grey. I mean, they allow things like pro-hormones at times, SARMs. Um, there's a lot of stuff so it wasn't mm. really quite as natural as as we were um and then they started the judging became very condition orientated so people were winning with striated glutes who weren't in great shape uh, you know not real bodybuilders and i was like and this seemed to be their major criteria but i think the final straw was when we went out in 2011 and i think kerry napier and chipper tennyson ben tennyson's wife were both on the judging panel um, and they didn't have any judging sheets for the pro classes. They just had to write it down on a sheet of pe sheet paper and hand it in. Well, Tom, you've judged. You know how difficult it is even doing it when you have a structured piece of paper in front of you to actually get those sheets in and tabulate. We're yeah. never going. It was never going to be an easy thing to do. Um, so we weren't happy with that. And then we know for a fact that the final results went in, and Chipper Tennyson still had her sheets in her bag. So we don't know how they managed to calculate the results anyway so i think we went as a team we were all sitting talking um and we said i don't know what i said i actually don't know what i do with you guys i said because you know i was getting complaints from our guys that they were doing the bmbf british finals which was a fun exciting show we were taking them abroad to shows and it was like this is like a cattle market it's not fun and i'm like right i, I don't know what to do so i said well the only thing we can do is run our own world championships and try and develop it through there so i spoke to the guys and they're like well we'll all get behind it we'll all be involved um and i realized that running a world organization in the states was not going to be easy as a female and from the uk yeah. so i contacted rich fitter who i was friends with and who had initially worked with the WMBF and just not long left them and he said, yeah, let's do this. Let's let's have a go and, and see if we can make this work. So that was how it kind of grew. And what all we wanted to do, I mean, for him, he was 100%. The BMBF is the blueprint for the DFAC, whatever, because it works. He says, let's make the mm -hmm. DFAC the same. Um, and, and that was kind of his ethos. For me, I just wanted an event that, regardless of what happened, judging was transparent, it was fair. The people didn't get treated like a cattle market. They came out to an event that was good fun, where people socialized and enjoyed it um so that was kind of the whole ethos behind the dfac um and it is still growing this year is actually quite exciting because we've got a team from australia team from caymans team from lebanon um team from italy coming out so it's actually a, it'll be a stronger year again this year um we've picked up some more promoters in the us so hopefully the usa side of things um is going to be stronger although i do put it out there that they're just afraid of the bmbf team <laughs> well yeah no it, I, I mean it does it, it it seems that uh the, the number of nations affiliated is is growing year on year isn't it and it's it's only only getting that stronger and i think 
I think people see it, you know, they, they, they look at the structure and they look at the stages, they look at the quality. Um, and I think, you know, people want to get involved, um, uh, you know, f from potentially other federations where, where they, they might have been dissatisfied. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it sounds like exciting times ahead for, yeah. for the DFA. I'm also going out to Austria. I forgot I'm going out to Austria to judge for them in October. And I think they're sending athletes to the Worlds this year as well. So, okay, um, fantastic. So that's good. And we've also got some European athletes coming to the BMBF this year. Um, oh, right. You know, they've been in touch. I think there's a girl coming to, I, I wish I could remember what country she's from, somebody coming to the Scottish, I think somebody coming to the Northern for Germany. So they've been in touch and said, we want to be part of this. Can we be part of it? And I'm like, don't see any reason why not. Yeah, yeah. Same as anybody else. So Yeah. I, I thought, Vicky, I'd just touch on, um, I know it's um, been quite a contentious topic in, in the past. Um, you You put out something maybe a couple of years ago to the the other promoters of of the big sort of natural federations um and said you know why don't we just come together you know united we'll take it each year in turn um potentially you know every, every four years uh, a certain federation takes control and we'll do uh, a combined world with with all of the federations um and you know one federation would take it in turn they would they would run it they would uh promote it um and it, and it kind of fell on deaf ears um and, and and no one really seemed to respond or take you up on that do, do you scared. think that's scared. ever something that that will happen in the future or do you, do you, do you think that's uh never gonna happen the, the response you saw was exactly the response you expect um i mean a lot of the DFAC, like the BMBF, is non-for-profit, so it makes no odds to us whether we, you know, run it with other people or not. We we want the best of the best. I mean, I would like to see the best athletes in the world in the DFAC worlds. So, I mean, I I want I mean I want our athletes to go away knowing that they've competed against the best. Um, I mean, I genuinely believe that Nate, that Dave, uh, that Siobhan are probably three of the best athletes out there. I really genuinely do. Um, but they are always questioned as world champions or as being the best because there are so many world champions. You know, it would be great to see everybody throw their hat in. And and, and I think it would be a, a great thing to do for our sport. But again, that's a sport, not a business. And the problem is at the moment is that our sport is becoming business. Um, so no, I don't think anybody's, I don't think anyone will take us up on that. And yet for me, that would be, I mean, someone once said to me, what would bring you back out of retirement, you know, if I was to stop to compete again? And I would come out of retirement for that because to me, to get up on the stage with the best in the world and know that everybody was, were coming together and doing it together, you know, that's what I would want, that's what I would want to do. And I know that Dave would be the same. I know that that would be his goal. If, if somebody said to Dave, there's going to be a show where every one of the pro world champions from every organization is going to be in it, that would be his ideal way to to compete. Yeah, but yeah. Well, it would for be the competitors, a it's that to, to behold as well, wouldn't it? I yeah, think. absolutely. Get, yeah, like you yeah. say, the best from everywhere come together and, and, and go and go at it. That would well, be for, if you're into the sport, that's what you want. Yeah. I mean, realistically, that's what we want. And I mean, I would happily follow whoever's rules it was for one year. You know, whatever the testing was, whatever the criteria was, we just go with that. I mean. And I, and I think that for everybody and for the sport, it would be amazing. But unfortunately, I don't know whether that's ever going to happen. Mm, well, 
we can dream, can't we? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but um, so we'll move on. Um, we did with Rob um, bodybuilding room one hundred and one. Uh, <laughs> like so, essentially, for anyone that didn't see the first one, bodybuilding room one hundred and one is exactly what uh, it sounds like. Um, we have a suggestion for what you would put in that relates to bodybuilding into room one one. What would you get rid of? Is there anything Instagram. That you get rid of? Instagram. The, the Instagram, the whole thing that we're, I mean, for me, you know, people having to film every workout, every set to put on Instagram, you know, having to put every meal on Instagram. Um, coaches aren't good enough becoming famous because they've got a huge following on Instagram. So to me, you know, social media has been so positive in so many ways because it's allowed me to be able to, the DFAC probably couldn't have existed if we didn't have that world access through things like social media. Yeah. But, you know, I cannot stand this whole thing where bodybuilding's become about everybody being a martyr and everybody showing how, you know, I do this and I do that. It It's boring and mm -hmm. it's it's yeah. sad and it's it's destroying a sport. I mean... You know, Rob Hope was up, I saw Rob the other day and, you know, somebody sort of said to him, would you come back? And he went, I don't know if I could. And he said, I can't stand the cameras in the gym. He says, I can deal with it because I'm not a competitive bodybuilder at the moment. He says, I think if I was back competing and having to do the train with the focus I used to, he says, I couldn't stand tripping over camera tripods and folks' phones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and it's Instagram that's done that. I mean, it's not, you know, if it wasn't for Instagram and having to put story, I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Uh, I think I think yeah. I mean, I can I can sort of uh, agree, um, you know, to a, a greater or, le or lesser extent. I'm guilty of it myself when I was doing powerlifting. I would, I've done done it myself. I've filmed yeah. a, a, a set just to make sure things like I'm hitting depth or yeah, yeah. Um, no, know, I don't. There's not an issue with that. Yeah. I think you know, and that's not the thing. I mean, to me, I mean, there's videos of me doing I think ten reps at one forty. Uh -huh, you know. Yeah. Remember. somebody said we'll film this and I think part of the reason I probably got 10 reps was because somebody filmed it um, yeah. and I think you know nobody minds seeing something impressive you know if it's a you know if somebody's going for a one uh -huh. rep match doing something unique that's not the issue it's like how many times do you want to see somebody doing a dumbbell row a seated row a lap pull down yeah. you know I'm like agreed agreed you yeah. know it's like yeah by all means if you do something impressive it's great but I don't want to see every meal, every meal prep, you're listed, you, all your Tupperware's out. You know, it's like, hmm. that was never what bodybuilding was about for us. We just did it. It's part of life. You you know. Yeah, it's a choice yeah. that you make. And, and, people yeah. always want to be diva-ish with it. I'm yeah. like, I've done this for 30 years. If it was really as hard as a lot of people are making out, I don't know if I'd have done it for 30 years. I've done it alongside running the BMBF, running a business, working. It's not, it's hard. I'm not saying it's not hard. But let's not just over exaggerate how hard it is. You know, it's like it's it's doable. You yeah, know, we all manage yeah. it. That's it. We're all a doctor with issues. But, but, but that's, that's it. We're we're all trying to promote the sport. Um, yeah, at the same time, telling people what a horrendous life it is yeah. being a bodybuilder. It's it makes no sense, does it? You know, we we do it because we enjoy it. Um, and yeah, it's, it's that physical smart, challenge that when, when you're on a prep. It's the, it's the physical challenge of, um, of, of of sticking to it when it gets mentally tough, when you are hungry and you do get hungry. <laughs> um, you know that that's the it's, it's the test of what you're like, you, your your steel, uh, if you will. You know, and, absolutely. Uh, and, and, but you're not special. 
You know, there's, no, it's, there's it's hundreds choice, of people. It's, it's hundreds a hobby of and a choice. Um, um, and, and genuinely, uh, when it comes to like, let's say food posts, I mean, I, I am a foodie. I love my food, but I, I, I could take a leave, you know, seeing your, your chicken and rice prepped for fucking the next five days. It's fucking boring. Exactly. You know I mean, <laughs> who gives a shit what you're eating for the next five days? Um, as you say, we're all doing it, and we all chose to do it. It's not like somebody that's ill that's got to eat a particular way because they're ill, you know, or can't afford to eat. We we choose to do this, yeah. so just do it and shut up about it. You know, yeah. all I want to see is you get on stage in the best condition you are. And the thing is that half the people that are making themselves out to be martyrs aren't the ones that are coming on stage and looking amazing. You know, it's like yeah. the ones yeah. that look amazing are usually the ones that are quietly getting on with their business and, and getting the job done. You know, yeah. But, uh, but that's me. I'm just being. That's my brand work. <laughs> so, I don't. Um, I don't think it's going to be over because so, <laughs> got other things to ask. Just, um, just move it. Are you alright? Are you alright for time still, Vicky? Absolutely. I'm still, I'm yeah. Um. Okay. So I was just going to move on to talk about, um, and it might be opening a bit of a can of worms, but coaching and and particularly the the emergence of kind of this thing of online coaching and and seminars now, which. Uh, often you know quite expensive um obviously you've been involved with i don't necessarily would call it coaching but you because because you never really did it for that you, you you've helped a lot of people in the sport over the years uh with the preps with the training um but it's sort of over the past i guess five years or so this emergence of online coaching has, has become really big and it's probably social media has has allowed people to do that what what are your thoughts on it i think on on the one hand it's probably you know it's given a a platform for people in the sport to potentially make some extra money to to help support their competition um uh, and things like that but overall is it is it a good thing and this is just our opinions isn't it but is it is it a good thing or do you think it creates an environment where people feel that you know, particularly newcomers to the sport, that they have to have these coaches or they have to go to these expensive seminars and then risk us getting into this, you know, this business of bodybuilding being a sport for the privileged as such. Again, that, I mean, that was why we started the clubs. I mean, we, we started the clubs so that people didn't have to spend money. Um, but, I mean, it's funny because Dave Kay and I were discussing this the other day and people are coming to the clubs and, you know, we'll give them advice and they'll say, oh, but my coach says. And I'm like, right, your coach says this and Dave and I are saying that and Dave and I are actually have achieved what you're aiming to go for and your coach hasn't, but you're going to listen to your coach. I, I don't understand. It's almost like people are putting value on something because they're paying for it, not necessarily because it's good um, or because someone has social media credibility um, and I mean, I'm seeing some horrific diets that people are showing me that they're getting given from these people. Um, and what happens with these coaches is that because they're charging so much money, they have to justify what they're doing. So it becomes a bit bro science. So they start changing diets a lot, doing random things, doing things that are make it seem as if they're it's more scientific than it is. Bodybuilding's reasonably simple, you know, and I. A good coach, and, and for me, when I've been working with Nate or working with Satonia or working with Shane or any of these people I've worked with, you know, more often than not, I'll not change much. It's a set of eyes that go, yep, everything's going fine, keep going. 
but if they're then paying me a fortune for me to do that i'm having to justify things to do so you know these they start creating things to do which aren't necessarily mm. you know uh, i mean the process, yeah they complicate the process to justify their money mm. i mean it, it's a bit i mean as i say some of the things i've seen are just absolutely crazy um i mean and diets where people are doing like no carbohydrates and then doing a ton of cv and um you know it, it it's just some stupid stuff i mean there was a situation where and i think we told you guys about this where in america there's a girl phoned me before the world championships and said um you know i need is there a 24-hour gym in the hotel i says yeah the, the gym's 24 hours i says but why do you need a gym you know the night before the show mm-hmm. and she says i have to get up at two o'clock in the morning and train because that's the best time and I'm like, why would you get up at two o'clock in the morning to train before a show? But this is, you know, our coach had told her this, so she was going to have to do it. And this is what I keep saying. Having a coach is fine. But the problem with a coach is a coach should enhance what you're doing. So, you know, you get to a certain level and you think, I really could do with someone, you know, helping me or guiding me or taking me to the next level. But what is happening now is that people are starting with no knowledge whatsoever. So coaches can basically tell them anything because they don't have any understanding of the basics. So, you know, they're relying totally on a coach that can sell them anything, um, and including some places, Climbuterol and Anivar, and <laughs> girls don't even know what the heck it is. Yeah. And, you know, it's that's the scary thing. If you, if you want to be a sports person, you know, most of us in any sport will take it to a level where you'll go to a club, which is what we say about the BMBF clubs, you learn a little bit. And then maybe if you're going to make it into, you know, the next level where you're going to be a competitive, you know, you're going to run for your county or your country or your, you know, whatever, you know, you start getting involved with, you know, more serious coaching. But all these people have got knowledge of their sport. My biggest concern is the the people going to coaches when they have no knowledge whatsoever. To me, they need to go to a club to learn. Um, but again, that's the, the whole thing with like things like your pure gyms and your, you know, these 24-hour gyms that have no real staffing is that people can't learn. I mean, when the kids come to the Body Academy, we've got, I mean, we have lots of kids between 14 and 18 coming to the Body Academy and they're learning from us, they're learning from Dave Kay, they're learning from, you know, whoever happens to be in the yeah. gym so yeah. that, you know, they're not just left to hang as they grow. You know, we'll, you know, when they're in training, we're, automatically going, oh, try it this way or try it that way or let me see what you're doing or how's your food doing or, you know. So they're getting a grounding. So eventually if they maybe decide to get a coach, they'll already have a grounding of knowledge of where where they are within within the sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. I think similar sentiments as Rob had, you know, about that, that business of people ch- trying to justify the fact that they're charging extortionate prices. Uh, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting to hear. Mm. Um, I mean, if I was seeing them getting brilliant results, I would be going, you know, hands up, this guy's great. But yeah. I'm not, I'm not seeing that. I, think yeah, I mean, science, it, has, it? science has its place, doesn't it, in some way? Because it's it's all about biology, how your body reacts to certain foods, um, knowing a person's um, body inside out, learning about what, like I say, how they react to it. You know, because so, some people do well on a high carb diet, some people don't do so well on a high carb diet. You know, um, some people are vegetarian, some people are vegan. Um, you know, and but but I think I think what we see is these, you know, this promotion of quote science is it's often not is it it's often people making things up correct uh, yeah i mean uh and you know 
impractical things which may have some theoretical uh basis but some. you know uh it's all blown out of out of proportion and yeah. um it, it, again it's 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 sort of just justifying paying mm. uh, a, a premium uh, yeah they've got to because because uh, it's sooner or later the people are going to figure it out aren't they and they're going to say hang on what am i paying for um i've done this now for six twelve months um i've seen what i've got to do i can do it on my own so that they'll have to come up with something else to say. No, I have no. Yeah, I mean, I think that genuinely a good. I mean, somebody with a good with good eyes. I mean, regardless of you know, to me, my skill is being able to look at you and say, "This is what you need to do." Um, you know, this is where I think you are. This is what I think you need your body. At, but it's not complicated. I mean, people always say that to me. Why, you know, why do you not sell? you know yourself more and i'm like not many people want to pay for boring diets and hard work and realistically your diet is boring and unless you're working hard you ain't going to get the results and and no matter how technical a diet is unless someone's bursting their balls in the gym they're not going to get the results they really think they are you know you see it all the time with people who diet down and diet down and diet down but they don't have the muscles so they just get smaller they don't get harder because they're not actually putting the work in in the gym and when it comes down to it our sport is about training it's about putting the correct fuel in and that's where the this if it meets your macros compared to what we do and and which what virtually every one of the successful pros do, does is very, very structured food. And it's yes, it's boring. There's no getting away from the fact it's boring. But you don't put diesel in a sports car. You know, mm. Pop-Tarts is not the same as eating proper good food. You know, it's like, it's not, you know, Cheerios are not great after training food. There's better foods that you can put in. So if you really want to be successful, it's not about wanting to have a Pop-Tart or Cheerios. It's about wanting to put the best fuel that you can put in. Food becomes fuel. It doesn't become about taste. It becomes like, okay, this is crap. I don't really want to eat it, but this is the best fuel that I can put in my body at this point in time to make me be able to train harder, to be able to make me function better on the restricted food I have. So when your food's restricted, you want to have the absolute best you can going in. You know, it's not about, oh, yeah, but that tastes a bit better. Yeah, but the first place tastes even nicer than getting second or third. <laughs> and, and so with that, just quickly, Vicky, do you want to just explain to the listeners uh, about the, th- the three C's? <laughs> yeah, our seminar. <laughs> yeah, the, C- the three C's, and it, that's what it comes down to. It's compounds, consistency, and carbs. Uh, your body functions on carbs I'm not convinced that you know my body doesn't respond to carbs no it does it might take a bit time to train it to use it properly but as a bodybuilder you should have carbs compounds heavy lifting without a shadow of a doubt you cannot get away with it pushing a prowler is not the same as squatting heavy or deadlifting don't kid yourself on that you're going to build a good strong posterior chain pushing a prowler not going to happen so get your compounds Get your carbs and consistency. It's about doing this year in, year out. You have to have your food going in. You have to have your training done. You know, it's not about doing it for six months before a show or three months before a show. It is all year. You get in the gym, get the job done, and yeah. and, and it works. So there, you, there you go, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Heard it here first. Um, Again, do we have anything um, listener-wise? Um, any questions? Yeah, we got a couple of questions. Uh, I can read one out from Ryan Howells. Oh, Ra- <laughs> Ratty, Ratty Ryan. Ratty Ryan. Doing, pal? <laughs> okay, uh, so this is obviously for you, Vicky. Um, 
talking about criteria, symmetry forms part of the judging criteria. Obviously, genetics play a role in one symmetry. How important of an aspect is it in relation to other judging criteria? For example, if someone has a shorter bicep than the other versus muscularity. Did you get I that? think, yeah, I mean, criteria. the criteria is a third of it's for symmetry, a third of it for muscularity, and a third of it for your evening performance. Um, bear in mind, and this confuses people, evening performance does not mean you're the best dancer. What it means is that you portray your physique and your strengths in the best way possible. Um, so arguably, you've got two-thirds is not symmetry. Symmetry is, is one-third, because if you're doing your evening performance right, you'll hide any weaknesses in your symmetry anyway, because that's what you want to yeah. use your routine to do. Um, and symmetry is not necessarily about, you know, being the best shape, although it does help. It's about having the same development or a similar development top to toe. So if someone looks phenomenal from the front, but then turn to the back and they're very weak from the back, that's not symmetrical. Um, it's not about necessarily one bicep being slightly shorter than the other. You know, most of us have got one leg slightly bigger than the other or one shoulder that sits slightly higher because most of us have got a shoulder injury at some point but it's about development top to toe it's about from every angle having the similar development so it's not you know as i say quite often what you see is people from the front are very very strong and then when they turn to the back they've got weak posterior chains and then you're not as strong from the back that's that's my biggest thing with symmetry is if i'm judging symmetry if i see someone strong from the front and weak from the back i'll mark them down in symmetry not because they've got one arm slightly smaller than the other that's not really what i'm looking for um, uh, anything else? Yeah, sure. We've got another one from uh, Aaron Bevan. Aaron. Oh. Uh, Aaron. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, that that's, what we, that's what we call him, Aaron. <laughs> it's easier to say it. Okay. Uh, so, great show, guys. And great insight. Um, with the 20th anniversary this year, what is it that makes you still strive to make the BMBF improve and build year to year while still managing to maintain true bodybuilding values? Um, somewhere I think I've still got a bit of passion for the sport. Um, every year I think, oh, I don't know if I can do another season, I'm getting tired, I'm chasing sponsors, I'm trying to keep this going. Um, and then you get to the British final and you sit there and think, this is amazing. Um, you know, the joy on people's faces when they win. And as I say, last year's British final, you know, the men's open classes, you know, the top 10 in each class was phenomenal. And that to me watching that makes you think yeah let's keep keep this going but as i say i need everybody's help because unless we can keep funding it we can't keep going um so it's about everybody else wanting it to keep going as well it's all very well us being able to do it and then obviously having the team out in miami and seeing how much joy everybody gets from from being out there and seeing everybody socializing with the pros right down to the the teenagers and juniors or whatever is, is a great buzz every year and it's a great satisfying feeling for i think for everyone involved you know i think everyone that takes part and helps backstage or does anything gets a lot from it when we get to the end of the, the year and we've, we've managed to keep it going yeah. that's it i mean it's like you were saying about back in the days when you're going to new york that the, the friendships and stuff that you form you end up being like family to some people i mean i've met some great people like me and tom met through bodybuilding met tom's brother james and chris um both ryan and and aaron there that have asked questions know them and uh, I actually class uh, Aaron as one of my closer, closest friends now um, and that's something uh, to be admired it's something that I think we can thank you for because without the BMBF that wouldn't happen so um, 
yeah. so thanks. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Well, it's two bodybuilding. I've got some of my closest friends as well. I mean, and it's Nigel Davis's birthday today, so Nigel's oh, like a brother to me. Nigel. So, uh, and and probably one of the best natural bodybuilders ever to grace the stage that I think that people don't appreciate. But um, he really set the bar for everybody. He was the first ever pro world champion, and yeah. uh, he He's really set a, a Absolutely, probably one of the most let's call him honest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, uh, oh, yeah. He's, uh, he's, he's, <laughs> yeah. He, he's the kind of person that you want yeah. uh, to he, give you actual constructive feedback, yeah. uh, and he and doesn't sugarcoat things. And he's um, always willing to help as well. Um, always. Yeah. He, he's just sometimes a little bit difficult to get hold of, uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, a re- really good guy. Yeah. Um, um, we we've got a few. We'll go back to the. The, the questions there but we, we did have a few bef- beforehand um do you, do you want do you want me to go with this yeah, so, crack on, yeah. um, so we had one from uh, our good friend darren shepherd loxton um and he's he's asked does there come a time uh when the bmbf start awarding more pro cards to increase the weight uh, the weight split in the pro ranks um he said the vast majority of pros are heavyweight or large middleweights um i, I never want to see a time when uh, it's given without reward uh but um when you see wmbf with four or five weight splits from bantam to super heavy um is there opportunity for the smaller bodybuilder to become a lightweight pro um i mean it's it's always more difficult for the for the lighter guys um and and something that's worth discussing but we've always you know stuck with the overall you know the overall winner wins and we are giving out a second pro card this year um, because it's our 20th year, we're going to award two pro cards at the British finals. Um, and I think that was the year Baz Cunliffe got his was when we, we are, gave out more pro cards the last time. Um, it's hard because, you know, we don't have, you know, I don't necessarily agree with the whole giving out four pro cards like the WMBF do. I mean, arguably there's people have got WMBF pro cards that didn't even place in the BMBF shows. So it's, you know, are we watering down again? Um, I mean, that's that's something. It's very difficult because we could just give out pro. I mean, arguably now we could just give out pro cards. There's so many pro cards getting given out. If that's what people really want, it, it, it's like we've already started adding. We added the masters pro cards so that that was something that was new. We didn't used to do, um, but because the masters are getting so strong, we felt that that was something that was worth worth doing. Um, but if we just do the same as everybody else, all we do is keep watering down and watering down. Um, and I, arguably, is you know, where's the value in being a pro <laughs> anymore because so many people get pro cards? I mean, to me, I think there has to be another another way of almost categorising the people that are the best because so many pros now aren't the best. So, I mean, do we just not have pro cards at all and just let everyone compete together and then in that way yeah. you know mm. it, it changes the whole aspect and just say right let the pros jump back in and we'll just not have amateur or pro we just have bodybuilding competitions because there's so many pros I mean, especially in, in the states and, and even even in the uk now there's a lot of pros out there that you know that you know they, can they stack up with pros as it were so yeah. i don't know it's always open for discussion and if it's you know something that people think absolutely we should be doing um but we have lightweight class at the worlds um and we have some shorter guys there so they've got their pro cards 
you know, so they and they're competitive. But I, I don't know how how you do it. I mean, if there, would if you say, do we give it a lightweight pro card? Do we then have to give it a middleweight pro card? And then do we have a heavyweight pro card? And then, you know, it, it just gets watered down. And if every year you're giving out all these pro cards, then the level of competitor becomes less and less each year. So it becomes more and more pro cards get given out and the, the standard drops every year. So it, it's kind of a difficult one to decide whether we go along the same route as everybody else or we stick to our grounds and just... Mm. You know, and then, and then you, you know, if, if, I mean, that, that was something I had wondered about myself, um, similar to what DSL there had asked. But then we, you, you take that then into a British finals, um, and you, we've already got the Grand Prix for the BMBF, um, and it's a long day, isn't it? Um, yeah. For, for, from first category to to to, to the, the the pro card being given out. Um, do people will people stick around? You know, because you you then add in extra categories, aren't you? So you'll have like a, you'd have a, the, the heavyweight Grand Prix, middleweight Grand Prix, lightweight Grand Prix, and it's just another category to add onto the the, the, the length yeah. of the day. And as we know, some competitions take an entire weekend. Um, you know, they have them on a, on the Saturday and on, and on a Sunday because of the num sheer numbers. Uh, and you've got to ask them: Will people want to turn up for it? Um, mm. You know, is it going to harm the sport in the end? It's a tricky one. I can understand it's where very, it's coming I mean, from. it's very difficult just now because at the moment we're in a cusp where, as I said, the WMBF and, and the, the OCB will give out a lot of pro cards. Um, are they doing it for the good of the sport? And I, I don't know. I mean, I don't sit in their committee meetings, but they're basically making a lot of money out of pros having to be pros. So it's that's a lot of why it seems to be to be going on. Yeah. And, and as I say, with those organisations, you also have to pay your pro card every single year. Um I still think at the moment we're in a cusp between bodybuilding being a business and being a sport, and it's which way we follow. And this is the, the big issue is that if it's a sport, we need to look on how to make the sport stronger. Um, just giving out pro cards is not making the sport stronger. No. And as I say, do we do we change it and just say, right, everybody can have a pro card? In fact, what we'll do is we'll just call every athlete that comes into the organisation a pro and we'll just have pro only, and we'll give out prize money for every small amount of prize money for every single class because at the moment that's people are everybody wants a pro card we'll just have one because arguably if you went to the states i reckon if we went took our top five in the light middle and heavyweight to the usa within a year every single one of you would have a pro card literally i have not no shadow of a doubt that top five from all those classes could go out to the us and within a year would have a pro card yeah. So is that what we want, or you know that? And that's the you problem. Ask why I they want it? You know why? Mm? Why? Like you got to ask them why? Why do they want it? What well, we know is it? Yeah. Is it, is it... It's. It, I think sometimes, and you know, it's maybe generalizing, um, but a lot of people maybe want to have it as something that they put on their Instagram profile yeah. that they're a pro, and, uh, then, and then charge more for their online coaching yeah. business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I think we see it in in a lot of federation, you know, not not just natural federations, but you know, giving out twenty plus pro cards in a show, um, yeah. and even is saw, it, I think top, top three Instagram. top three get get a pro card. Yeah, I saw somebody on Instagram. It's like third you know, in bikinis it, got a pro card. Is it like, re rewarding mediocrity? Um, yeah. Well. Yeah, it's interesting point from podcast altogether, isn't it? Like you said before, <laughs> so many things we could discuss, and it could just be you could, yeah, you it could, could go on, it could go on forever. I mean, it's it, it's hard because to me, to have won your class at the BMBF Britain last year, 
is a huge achievement, regardless of whether you got a pro card at the end of the day or not. If you stood up there and won your class at the Britain last year, you'd have to take amazing pride in yourself because that that was a huge achievement. Uh, and then going out and obviously doing the Worlds. Um, and I think the Worlds will get tougher. I think, you know, the more we work on it, we're going to get tougher and tougher out there as well. Um, but that that BMBF Britain, as I say, whoever won the pro card won the pro card. But to me, every single person that placed in that, you know, placed first in that show should be, you know, regardless of whether they were a pro or not, mm. that achievement should be almost greater than having a pro card because it was so tough. Mm. Yeah, there was some quality last yeah. year. Really was. Um, um, anyway. I, yeah, I've just got just got one other from Scott Scott Jezard. Uh, he's a, another competitor uh, in the BMBF. He asks, um, "How do you deal with the difficult decision that you may face as a head judge uh, in a split decision scenario, um, and what particular element of the athlete will swing the decision in their favour at this point?" I suppose a bit of a generalised question, but. Um, do you want to try and yeah that? i mean the first thing i'll do if it comes in as a split decision is i'll look at the scores and see if one has more higher scores than the other so um when there's if the numbers at the end are the exact same um i'll look and see see somebody has three firsts and the other one has two firsts but has a third or you know i'll take the, the first places who has the most first places so that would be my first way to try and to split it up that way. Um, if it comes down to it where there's no actual way to split it, then what I'll normally go with is whatever my sheet says, because as a head judge, you know, if I can't split it by a numerical, something numerical on the sheets or looking at the sheets in some way, I'll, I'll, it'll go on whatever the head judge, whether it's me or Kerry or Dave or whoever, that it'll go on the head judge's placing of that person. So whoever they had ahead, it'll go with that. Sure. Also, but we generally just to split it first. Right. Okay. Um, um, have we got we've got time for maybe a few more? Um, yeah, we got. Uh, we got two more. One longer one. One really quick one. Um, what is your opinion? This is from Robert Brown, by the way. What is your opinion on the teen and junior division? Uh, should we compete then, or focus on building better size and structure first? I think that the, the teenage class and the junior class have been really, really strong with the BMBF. Um, I think it's not over-competing. I think, you know, having time out. Um, I mean, you know, uh, uh, Connor Moran, who was one of our juniors, he did, you know, a qualifier, but then didn't do the Britain so he could focus on coming back for the next qualifier because he wanted to be stronger and didn't think he would be competitive in the finals. So that's one way of doing it. Um it, it, it's very difficult to say because as long as you're having time out and making good use of your off season, then it keeps you focused. Um, but I would say have a year here and there to, to grow in between. Um, but the classes are so good and they're so enjoyable to see these days, the juniors and the teens, it's nice to see them compete. Um, we've had amazing juniors. I mean, amazing juniors and teenagers in the last couple of years. Yeah, I'm going to be dead interested to see what the, the, some of the juniors look like this year. Having, a, having had a sneak peek at one or two, um, who I know are competing. I won't mention their names just yet. They might not want want, want that uh, revealing, but um, I'd be really, really excited to see these guys compete because, um, like you always say, they're they're the future of it. Um, and 
there's there's some there are some future pro cards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, without well, a shadow doubt. And I mean, Definitely. if you look at the BMBF, we've got a great tradition where you've got people like Mushy, Andrew Chappelle, and Mark Claxton, and there was Lawrence King who came through from like juniors and teen classes right through to, to win their pro cards and be sitting on the judging panel and be part yeah. of it. You know, the whole way through their career. Um, I mean, young Stephen McDonald's you know, being a teenager, he's been a junior, and he's coming back for the first time in this year as a, a mister. Mm. Um, but he even got involved in the judging last year and was a fantastic judge. He was, uh, I think, a junior or team world champion. Um, and he's really been, you know, involved with the BMBF since he was about 17. So, you know, and he took two years out this time to, to develop into the mister classes. And he, he's doing his first show next week at the Scottish. So, you know, be exciting to see how he's yeah. come on. But it's fun with the juniors and teens to watch them grow and develop in the organisation. Yeah, definitely. I think we've got one final one. One final one, dead quick. Uh, will there be any, any unrivaled products available to purchase at the Scottish next weekend? Oh. <laughs> That's a safe bet, that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, unrivaled is the sponsor of the Scottish Championship, so there will be an unrivaled stand with the, the AGF and the Rapid Recover, small and large ones, and there'll be some of the clothing as well that's still left. So, yeah, so yes, uh, there will be. And, and as uh, a reminder to everyone, unrivaled are uh, today's uh, sponsors of this podcast, and we thank them for it um, because the <laughs> without without the sponsors it wouldn't happen so um but yeah so uh, thanks again and, and just to uh, uh, um vicky the the website is unrivaledagf.co.uk so yeah. you can you can check out the products on there there's uh uh very very tasty flavors yeah. um of their agf and the rapid recovery and uh we had a we had a, a sneaky taste um last time we were at the body academy of the the uh the flapjacks which are coming very soon i believe so uh Oops, everyone so. everyone stay tuned for them guy's a bit of a perfectionist so it takes a long time for him to get out but yeah that <laughs> truth in the pudding is what he's done with his protein i mean uh the the agf protein was brought out i mean i was sponsored with cmp for about 10 years and propeptide was always the market leader as far as protein went yeah. um over the last wee while i in my opinion, it's not what it used to be. Um, and finding a truly good blended protein was always really difficult, which is why Guy went through, it took about 18 months to two years to, to develop AGF. Um, so in my opinion, it is the market leader in blended protein at the moment. And uh, the proof in the pudding is all the pros that are taking it. <laughs> so uh, it's uh, interesting to watch, but um, a, a great product for naturals. You know, there's a lot of information about it on the site. So check it out and um, it will be there at the Scottish and at the Northern. Good stuff. Um, so yeah, we'll just I guess we'll we'll round up if there's yeah. there's, there's no more questions there. Um, and just a reminder that the the BMBF season does kick off next weekend. Uh, the Scottish Championships um, on Sunday, um, and I think the the ultimate athlete is going to be on the Saturday at the Body Academy. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Um, so if you if you're in the area, or even if you're not, it's Make not the trip. It, it's quite Make a nice. The trip. A nice drive up to Scotland. Um, so, yeah, check out the, the, the BMBF Facebook page. I believe there's a bit of a leg workout going on between you and Alec and James Melville as well. So uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I believe. <laughs> I think I might come yeah. in and watch this one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do my best to be at this one as well. Um, work p permitting this time. Um, I didn't think I was going to be able to make it, actually, uh, but I, I think I probably can. Uh, but we'll see. 
But uh, yeah, thanks again, Vicky, for joining us. It's been it's been amazing, uh, and I'm sure everyone um, agrees. And and hopefully they'll continue to like and share. And um, yeah, please continue. Uh, if if you have enjoyed today, uh, give it a like, give us a, a comment, and share Facebook. Uh, we'll be putting it on YouTube. Uh, go there, watch it, um, and on Instagram as well, even though we've just sat here and basically slated it. So it's stuff of value. Um, it's not just crap food, is it? And rep on rep on rep. So yeah, please do it. share it as much as you can. Let's get it out there. And um, hopefully um, we'll get another sponsor yeah. for an, another episode soon. Yeah, as, as we say, we're just trying to, you know, we're, we're not doing this for to promote ourselves or it's for shits and giggles really we, we me and chris set this up we it was during our prep last year uh we you know we enjoy the podcasts the likes of muscular development rx muscle but you know they're very much focused on the ifbb uh bodybuilders yeah. which is great but there was nothing really uh you know showcasing some of the the top uh, natural bodybuilders in our sport and, and we thought it'd be good to put something like this out yeah. and particularly I think people in prep at the moment are doing the cardio uh, having something to listen to it's 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 motivating to hear people like Rob and like like yourself Vicky and all those uh, stories and and insights so um, yeah if 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 you do like it then keep sharing and hopefully we'll bring you more yeah. more soon we've got a list of people um, that we want to have on the show um, and it's just a case of if you want it, then we'll we'll make it. So thanks for watching. Good. And Vicky, thanks thanks again just for uh, taking the time to talk to us. Absolute uh, pleasure. Day. And as you see, we've got so many strong athletes out there. It'd be good to see them focus. So um, and to everyone out there, just keep continuing to support your support. Remember that you need to get behind it for it to keep growing. So support the sport and support the companies that support us. Yeah. yeah. Nice one. Thanks, thanks Vicky, so and we'll uh, see you next week. See you next week. Take care. All right. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye.